Welcome to Thinking Hard or Hardly Thinking with your host, Aaron Marks, a podcast about taking a high-level view of the dilemmas that stimulate and inspire us to find our place in the world. Now, Thinking Hard or Hardly Thinking. Art is a human instinct. We seek to beautify our existence, our lives, our world. We strive to perform actions, produce goods, in such a manner by which they simply become inspiring by the very level of craft and refinement that they reach. For as long as the human spirit has animated our outlook and motivated our choices, we have striven for beauty, inspiration, idealism, the purview of artistry. I realized not long ago that the arts we revere have certain origins and are not distributed equally across cultures. As such, America has no great arts to call its own, save two. One is the elusive great American novel, which may be an unachievable ideal. But the second is pervasive and influential in our modern world, with all other cultures and nations looking to America for its artistic models and trendsetters. The art is entrepreneurship, And while America is often imitated, its spirit is never duplicated. From the very beginning, this was America's art, and remains so to this day. We don't stand out in the others, but entrepreneurship is what America was made for. And that is where we shine. We have elevated entrepreneurship to an art in a way no other nation has, and in a way we have not attained with any other medium. We'll be exploring this and more today on Thinking Hard or Hardly Thinking. Today's episode is brought to you by Clearly Simple Business Consulting. If you are an entrepreneur or business owner who is stimulated by this discussion, you may very well find Clearly Simple to be a good fit. We connect with business people driven by a deep purpose, curiosity, and passion for providing their service to the world, and frustrated by the task of capturing it in the perfect messaging, branding, marketing, and systems. We enrich your enterprise on every level, from vision to team dynamics, from web design to culture, from social media marketing to tracking. And it all comes down to a deep dive into your identity as an entrepreneur, because everything flows out of that. Until you have that piece, you really don't have anything. But once you do, you have everything. Check us out at www.clearlysimple.net. Clearly Simple Business Consulting. And now, thinking hard or hardly thinking. The American Art Form A quote that I think of at least daily is from Andy Warhol. It goes, Being good in business is the most fascinating kind of art. Making money is art, and working is art, and good business is the best art. End of quote. This quote, from one of America's most famous visual artists, It seems that even he is giving away the real game of the American spirit. It's not really about the art at all, is it? Even for an actual artist. The true arts, according to Warhol, are making money and working. And the very best art? Business. It's also American, isn't it? Working. Making money. Entrepreneurship. It's all the things America was founded to be, whether intentionally or not. 
So it should come as no surprise that it is not America's painting, poetry, music, sculpture, or architecture that inspire the artistic sense of the world and motivate derivative imitation, but its unique, intense, and single-minded focus and success on turning business into an art. The arts that emerge are the trappings of the civic religion, and so making money is America's religion, for better or worse. And I don't say that cynically. In this case, it is meant as a virtue. It's what Americans do best, and we should be proud of it. This is evergreen content, but I am writing this shortly after Thanksgiving, and contemplating America's origin story over the holiday helped me to realize why entrepreneurship has emerged as the art of our state religion of freedom and free enterprise. Indeed, it could be no other way. We don't have the music or painting of Catholicism. We don't have the opera of Renaissance humanism. We don't have the architecture of the aristocratic class, because America was founded independently of, and even against, these influences. There are three central reasons that, in my opinion, America shines its light of entrepreneurship for the rest of the world to see, all related to its founding. They are of crucial importance in making America the incubator of business and commerce that it has become. So let's explore them in no particular order. They are, number one, the Protestant work ethic. Number two, the separation of church and state. And number three, economic freedom, the distrust of authority, and the avoidance of institutional thinking. Number one, the Protestant work ethic. Let's unpack this a little. When I describe the origin, nature, and official religious affiliation of the Protestant work ethic, people are often surprised by the details they learn. First of all, I have learned enough to realize there is not some kind of premium placed on hard work that is inherent in the Judeo-Christian outlook, in spite of what you may have heard. It is a popular and somewhat productive myth. We might point to verses like those in Genesis about toiling and bringing forth your bread by the sweat of your brow. But I don't think that non-Judeo-Christian cultures necessarily demonstrate that this essential truth is exclusive to the domain of so-called biblical lands. Do a quick Wikipedia search for Protestant work ethic, and you will see that it is associated with a very specific branch of Protestantism, and there are currently more than 30,000 Protestant denominations, and counting. So America was lucky enough to be first settled and pervasively influenced by the right branch. As we see on Wikipedia, the Protestant work ethic is synonymous with the Calvinist work ethic and the Puritan work ethic, not the Anglican, nor the Lutheran, nor the Baptist. It is a Calvinist phenomenon and that is what the Puritans were. It is significant to understand the origin of the Protestant work ethic. Work in old-school Calvinism was not prized for what it produced, but rather what it indicated about a person. Even the old adage, idle hands are the devil's playground, while a tidy summation of what is widely understood about the Protestant work ethic does not truly express its original nature. To understand that and quell common misconceptions, we need to explore the theology of Calvinism, which the pilgrims believed. Calvinism, in distinction to Lutheranism, holds a belief in predestination which, in short, holds that even before birth, God ordained who would be saved and who would be damned. It is a complicated and convoluted topic to explain. But in short, it is seen as a violation of God's sovereignty for humans to affect this in any way. For the sin-tainted, even Christ's saving grace is impossible to accept through mere will. In many ways, I appreciate the logical consistency at work here, but I find Calvinism deeply problematic in many ways, as do most theological thinkers. That's neither here nor there, but you may want to revisit, or visit, my episode about free will to explore some related themes. What is relevant is the result of this doctrine on the life of Calvinists. The logic goes like this. Premise 1. 
God's total sovereignty is of the nature that only he, and forgive the use of traditional pronouns, it is Calvinism after all, knows who is saved and who is damned. Premise 2. Any sense we have of who might be destined for which place is tainted by sin, and it is the ultimate violation of humility to presume to suspect the ultimate destination of any person. Premise 3. The only thing we can know for sure is that a member of the elect, that is, one who is saved, would act with ultimate virtue and fortitude, including devoting one's life to pious acts and productive and useful work. Conclusion. If we were members of the elect, we will act this way, and so we might as well, in essence, to ensure that we may very well be, although we can never be sure. The result? A papal of tireless industry, a tireless industry which still animates the attitude of America's workforce today. And if we work tirelessly, it is much likelier that we will achieve material success, continue to learn and grow, and overcome the necessary challenges that are a part of building any business, even if the predestination from whence it sprang fell by the wayside long ago. Number two, separation of church and state. This is an important one to understand, and it is often misconceived. It does not mean that the government ought to be free of religious influence or lobby. It does not mean that prayer is abolished from schools, although that sometimes happens. Clearly, it does not even mean that we cannot refer to God on our money. What it means is very simple and very profound. It means that there is no state church. Today, it is estimated that about 20% of nations, or one in five, have a state church, a religion of some kind. That is, one endorsed by the state, or even entangled with its power. The separation of church and state is a miraculous social technology that has allowed the flourishing and largely peaceful coexistence of a pluralistic melting pot with members from every country and creed represented on the face of the earth. The pilgrims who founded Plymouth Colony practiced a form of Christianity which had schismed from Anglicanism, the established Church of England, which itself had schismed from the Roman Catholic Church almost a century prior. Being unified with and backed by state authority, the Church of England was able to make life difficult for the Brownists which was the specific form of Puritanism practiced by the Plymouth Pilgrims. Laws required the attendance of Church of England's services on Sundays and holidays, with stiff fines for missing. Penalties were harsher for those found to be conducting unofficial services, and included larger fines and imprisonment. If you live in a free society today, you likely understand how miraculous it is to be free of these kinds of oppressive laws, and the Pilgrims were just one group who sought such a life. Owing to America's English roots, Episcopalians are disproportionately represented among American presidents, and I was fascinated to find that some of the original colonies had official churches, a couple of which were Anglicanism. But the decision was made early in the nation's founding not to have an established church. Think about the effect this would have on the arts. Established churches, bound up with state power, privy to the fruits of taxation and treasury, would find themselves with almost unlimited resources to support artists of all kinds, painters, sculptors, architects, musicians, and so many others. Additionally, the aristocracy so often associated with monarchical societies became important patrons of the arts as well. Without wealthy churches and aristocrats in the United States, there simply was not the demand or financial support of the fine arts that Europe provided. In modern times, we patronize businesses more than artists, and so we elevate business and entrepreneurship to the level of artistry, with all its attending systems, branding, marketing, customer service, product development, and more. The great entrepreneurs and business magnates of America become akin to great artists in our canon. Instead of Mozart and Michelangelo, we have Buffett and Bezos. American culture has not been an incubator of the fine arts. There was no way it could ever compete with the church and aristocrat-funded development of this that was possible in Europe. 
the economic thrust of our culture and society turns entrepreneurship into art. Number three, economic freedom and distrust of authority. America's founding was an act of rebellion, rebellion against centralized government, rebellion against taxation, rebellion against enforced social stratification, rebellion against propriety and decorum. The American Revolution is a true underdog story that succeeded against all the odds. David brought down Goliath and no one expected it. It came of resolve, grit, determination, perseverance, ingenuity, creativity, reality distortion. All of these are entrepreneurial traits. The entrepreneurial spirit pulses through America's veins, and it has since the very beginning. Americans are inspired and animated by their founding stories even centuries later. And these stories and their enterprising cast of colorful and resilient characters set the tone for America's enterprising spirit. When we can't go around, we go through, every single time. And we don't let things get us down. Where there's a will, there's a way. America is an expansive, diverse place. But one thing that tends to unite Americans is their individualism. To be an American is to march to the beat of your own drum. And there's no better way to do that than to own the very system of commerce itself, to be an entrepreneur. If you are a true individual who wants to be free and bring ingenious problem solving to the market, you will naturally become an entrepreneur of some kind. No matter the scale, from sole proprietors to the vastest international chain, Americans live for the struggle, the entrepreneurial fight like no other people. We founded and perfected the art of entrepreneurship, and the nation's restless, enterprising culture has been an incubator for business and business people from the very beginning, creating the strongest and most prosperous economy the world has ever known, and setting the trend for all other nations to follow in this regard. There is simply no way to imagine the state of entrepreneurship without the influence and example of the United States. And we have the founding mentality to thank. The rebellious, individualistic, resourceful, egalitarian, meritocratic, tireless, and endlessly enterprising spirit which has given America its business acumen and drive. People recognize this all over the world. When they crave the same spirit, they come to America to join the entrepreneurial club. No other country offers the freedom and opportunity to engage with the art of business so completely and unapologetically as does the United States. It's been in our blood since the beginning and always will be. So that's one heck of a combination, isn't it? Work ethic, separation of church and state, and the rugged individualism of rebellion against authority. Naturally, all those factors combine to cultivate entrepreneurship as a uniquely American art form. Had you lived in Europe 200 years ago, you likely would have been born into a social class that sealed your destiny. And perhaps you would have become an artist or a musician taking your place in the vast, rich culture of fine arts, cultivated by the ruling aristocratic and religious systems that set the pace of life. I read many stories about great musicians who were steeped in the art of music from their childhoods, both with training, mentorship, endless experience, and high expectations placed on them from the very beginning. Naturally, their artistry reached transcendent levels, and a few became truly great. We know them as Bach, Beethoven, Mozart, and a small handful of others. But even the lesser-known masters made music at a level beyond most of our reckoning, performing astounding feats of memorization, copious creativity, and dazzling improvisation. It was in the culture, in many ways they could not have developed otherwise. America does not have a culture of fine arts. It has a culture of entrepreneurship. Our kids start lemonade stands, get paper routes, and more and more start their own systems of commerce, becoming entrepreneurs in their own right. We don't have great artists so much as great entrepreneurs and they become world-class and world-famous. Additionally, some emigrate from other lands and become great entrepreneurs and investors in America. 
It has always been that way, the land of opportunity. America does not create great musicians, artists, sculptors, or architects. It creates good ones, distinctive and memorable ones even, but not great. That is the domain of the old world and its culture. America creates great entrepreneurs. It is our gift to the world and we are proud of it. We elevate business to the level of art with its branding, customer service, systemization, problem solving, profitability, and product design, and study its science through demographics, market analysis, sales persuasion techniques, and capitalization. Most European musicians were not Beethoven, but even the lesser masters worked at a level most of us can't imagine. And so it is for American entrepreneurs. Perhaps you won't be a Steve Jobs or a Mark Cuban, but simply by virtue of the fact that you have been planted in a culture that has fostered entrepreneurship at the highest level for more than two centuries, it is in your blood. It is your heritage, waiting to be unlocked. It is not easy. It is not for the faint of heart. But it is uniquely American. And when you engage with it, you will truly understand what it means to wear that title. America has been the perfect storm of cultivating a culture of entrepreneurship. I don't think you're truly American or truly alive unless you are participating in it at some level. So start that business, or grow the one you already have, or start a new one, or find a new partner, or buy one, or sell one and buy a new one, or take one public. Like any good and fertile art, the possibilities are endless, as are the potential rewards. If you elevate your business to the level of art, you will experience rewards on many levels. You will satisfy your customers. You will help your employees thrive. You will create a new product or service. You will grow in ways you could never imagine. You will make money and unlock new experiences. So don't wait any longer. Put the brush on the canvas, the note on the staff, the first mark in the clay. Step onto the stage today and engage with the great American art form. It is the one we do best and that which the culture and history offers to you. Go out there into the marketplace and be the artist you were born to be. Thanks for listening to Thinking Hard or Hardly Thinking. I hope you have enjoyed it and found it stimulating. Please download, subscribe, and review to help spread the word to more great listeners like you. As always, this episode has been brought to you by Clearly Simple Business Consulting. Business consulting for purposeful entrepreneurs who want to enter the marketplace with deep intention and clear communication. We look at every element of your business from numbers to systems, to branding, to marketing, to tracking, to team dynamics, and make sure it matches your purposeful intention. Reach out to us for a free initial consultation at www.clearlysimple.net. And one final note for today. I often have people tell me they treasure this kind of exploratory conversation and that they are not able to have it with anyone else in their life. It's like I'm validating all the secret thoughts they have had all their lives and giving them space to air them when no one else realized why they were important or even understood. For some of us, it is these thoughts and a safe space to air them that gives us the purpose and meaning to keep moving forward, finding our unique place in this strange, often overwhelming, but magical and wonderful world. If this is you, you probably know who you are. Congratulations, you're not alone. If you'd like to take your thinking to the next level, I invite you to reach out and see if coaching with me is a good fit. Just go to AaronJMarks.com and follow the directions you see there. I promise I'll never pressure you, and if it's right, it will happen quite organically. But if I'm piquing your interest, you should check it out, because having me as a conversation partner will change your life. 
It will energize and inspire you. And you never know what will happen or where your life will go after that. Just go to www.aaronjmarks.com. That's A-A-R-O-N-J as in jump, M-A-R-X.com. And check it out. I know it can be lonely to want to think and talk like this. But if you're here, remember, you're not alone. And I'm on your side. I look forward to talking with you soon. Thanks again for listening. This has been the Thinking Hard or Hardly Thinking podcast with your host, Aaron Marks. We'll see you next time when we'll continue to take a high-level view of the dilemmas that stimulate and inspire us to find our place in the world. We'll see you then.